0: Welcome to the Business with Beers podcast. This is the place where we help entrepreneurs expand their business, build their wealth, and generate passive income. I'm your host, Brian Beers, an entrepreneur who's on a mission to inspire growth from everyone around me. Remember that you need to take the actions others won't, and you can live the life that others don't. Please be sure to check out my weekly newsletter that now drops every Thursday. It includes one quote, one tweet, one podcast recommendation, plus some business and investing insight from me. It's short and it's sweet. My goal is to provide you with just a couple gold nuggets to help inspire your growth. Go to BrianBeers.com to subscribe. Welcome, everyone. I'm very excited today to bring you Tyler Chesser. Tyler is a co-founder of CF Capital, which is a multifamily real estate investment firm that focuses on acquiring and operating stable cash flowing assets around the country. Tyler is also the host of the Elevate podcast, which I was fortunate enough to be on a guest recently. I'm excited and looking
1: forward to our conversation today. Welcome to the show, Tyler. Brian, great to be back with you, my friend. Thanks for having me. Awesome, yeah, long time no see. It's been what a week. <laughs> I know, right? I'm like, man, uh, are you tired of me yet,
0: or what? Yep, awesome. Uh, yeah, so so for people that don't know you, do you mind kind of giving us an idea of your
1: journey, maybe from I don't know, 18 years old to kind of where you got today, and then we'll we'll break it down from there. Absolutely, yeah. So thinking about 18 years old, obviously I was kind of off to college. I went to. Um, Went to university, a public university, and studied uh, business marketing. I was always actually fascinated with kind of the psychology of business and why consumers make certain decisions. Consumer behavior was always fascinated with. Uh, I was actually in sales kind of during my college career, you know, kind of worked on the side in sales. And I was always fascinated why people applied certain higher value towards certain brands and, than others. And so, anyway, I went to school for marketing. After I graduated college, I actually started working for a Fortune 500 company doing international marketing, um, digital marketing, market research, and uh, and so forth. And so I, I loved sort of that, that uh, introduction to my professional world. It was very intellectually stimulating, but I will say the corporate life was not one that I really loved. And I was kind of put in a position where it felt like, man, there's a lot of politics involved here. If I want to get that next promotion, it's more so about the time in the saddle and, you know, who who really likes me above me and, you know, who's going to pull those strings so that I can get that next promotion so that I can get that next raise. And during that time, I I bought a house. And, um, you know, it was kind of like the, you know, quote unquote, the American dream. And by the way, I, I grew up in sort of a middle class background. I mean, I, you know, my, my whole thought was, hey, go to school, get good grades, get a good job. And, you know, put your money away in a 401k. And, you know, you're right off into the sunset when you're 65 and a half years old. And that whole process sort of, um, it kind of came to a head when I was in the beginning of my career as a corporate employee because, you know, there were things that were happening at my house that, you know, I would have maintenance issues or would have, you know, various surprises. And, you know, I was making decent money for sort of an early young professional, but it was kind of putting my, my, my finances in a, in a bind. And so I started to question. And say, all right, well, you know, if uh, if that's the case, I need to get a raise. So the first question was, all right, how do I get a raise? And I need to go and talk to my boss and kind of make the case for why you know I'm more and more valuable, and you know, I was spending a lot of time and effort and you know, sort of getting. More valuable for the organization and so forth, you know. But I was seeing those uh, cost of living raises on an annual basis, which you know, at the end of the day, I mean, that's kind of funny to look back on and, and say a cost of living raise back in the day was two percent, which we all know. You know, we've seen CPI over the past you know month, month and a half has been eight and a half percent, and obviously historic. And the question is, hey, is cost of living really even eight and a half? I think it's much more than that. Um, you know, what we've seen in terms of price increases and just cost of living in general in the United States. But, you know, I, those those things were offered to me. And so I said, All right, well, what else is available to me? It's all right, well, let's get the resume ready. And let's look at some other organizations. What I didn't realize through that whole experience is that I was climbing the wrong tree, so to speak, I was, you know, I was trying to find a different corporation to help me sort of be promoted or earn sort of a higher salary, you know, in a W-2 position. And so I never really thought that I would actually get into real estate or be an entrepreneur. But I ultimately decided to do that because I had some people who were kind of giving me other suggestions. And, you know, I was asking questions like, well, what else is out there for me? And I was kind of in sales before I was in marketing. And ultimately, I went and got my real estate license and started selling real estate. I started with residential. That happened very, um, or that that ended fairly quickly because it was uh, it was not really something of interest for me. It did help me double my income and it helped me quit my corporate job. But then I dove right into commercial real estate brokerage. Um, started selling mainly multifamily apartments. Um, I actually sold a, an entire portfolio for uh, kind of a mid-sized investment group uh, in our region and I started to sell office, retail, industrial land, and really cut my teeth um, in just being sort of a you know somebody who's kind of working hard and just trying to find deals and build a business and learn how to negotiate, learn how investors are looking at deals. And ultimately that's how I got into the world of real estate. And it was so interesting because I was selling properties for a few years. And then I came across this little purple book that we've all come across and, you know, rich dad, poor dad. And it comes and it's like, well, wait a minute. What he's talking about is the real rich. They they look at assets, right? And they they build assets. And I'm thinking, it's like, wait a minute, I'm selling these assets left and right. I'm in the middle of this. I'm the one who controls the assets. And so I started to um, obviously learn about, well, what's the difference in obviously selling these assets or investing in them? And what does that look like? So I started active investing. Um, I started buying small multifamily properties, um, operating those myself, managing those myself. And of course, there was many failures, many challenges along that path um, in building my wealth and, and so forth. But I started to learn the power of cash flow, not just earned income, but passive income. Mm -hmm. And so uh, what I learned through that path as well is that the name of the game in multifamily real estate is scale. It was great to learn on smaller deals, um, make mistakes on smaller deals because they wouldn't put me out of the game. But they gave me the ability to say, all right, well, now I can go bigger. And so, you know, by smaller multifamily, then I was buying midsize. Then I was investing from an LP perspective and other larger deals. And I saw that each and every larger deal that I invested in did a little bit better. And there was obviously a correlation. There, there was a pattern there. So that's kind of my journey in terms of where I came from from eighteen years old up to now. And today what we're doing is we're syndicating syndicating uh, large multifamily assets, you know value add, uh, some distressed assets, some uh, stabilized assets, but we're always looking to uh, add value and we invite others to invest alongside our team. So that's what we're up to today. Okay. And so how long ago was this? like how long when did you start in commercial brokerage? I got my license in 2013. And 2014 was when I really started selling commercial properties. So it was a, you know, obviously, we were coming out of the great financial crisis, I think there was still quite a trajectory there. So obviously, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of great deals. I mean, if you look back at that point in time, it's like, man, if you could have bought everything, uh, you probably would have done well. But that's when I got started. Okay. And then when would you start your first that the multifamily you started buying these duplexes or whatever they were? Yeah, the first deal I ever bought was an eightplex, and it was in 2016. So, okay, so I had another- done, I had a couple years, two and a half years or so of commercial real estate experience under my belt. Um, I actually went and got my CCIM designation um, because I was like, you know, a lot of this stuff is, hey, I'm learning from mentors, I'm learning from my clients, but I need to understand the ins and outs. I need to understand what makes a good deal a good deal, what makes a bad deal a bad deal. What are the drivers behind these investments, and understand that ultimately. We're assuming risk for a reward. And mm-hmm. so that was a part of my kind of learning process as well.
0: So, was it more from the official education or was it learning kind of from mentors trying to like really truly understand the deals they're buying? Like, what's the underwriting look like? Like, how did you go about or advice for somebody how to kind of go about learning this?
1: Yeah, I mean, the CCIM um, sort of education was helpful in terms of evaluation of deals, um, not only from an underwriting perspective, but just from, you know, looking at deals to be able to evaluate the risk. Um, because I went from it from like, Hey, back of the napkin, a lot of my clients were back of the napkin and you know, it was like, okay, well they're making decisions. They're, they're doing well. So I was kind of learning from both sides of the fence, like the highly sophisticated evaluation, underwriting models from CCIM, which is really kind of the PhD of commercial real estate. Yeah, Um, it's a very highly, what's it stand for certified commercial investment member. And it's a, it's a global Institute. You know, it's a very refined, Process where you learn about, um, you know, investment analysis, market analysis, um, user decision analysis to understand more about your tenants or your your, your residents and so forth. Um, and so, understanding sort of a comprehensive look. So it was between sort of partnering with clients or or evaluating deals with clients and kind of getting reps, but also. Layering over sort of this education, which then allowed me to get into the game. And the real education came from action. It came from falling on my face. It came from making yep. mistakes. It came from building the team, building the team wrong, and you know having to replace team members and so forth. Yep. So, 2016, you buy your first eightplex
0: or whatever, and then what year did you do your first general partner
1: ship, like a syndication? First, or so, raised money? Um, Yeah. I mean, I started LPing um, in 2018. And Mm -hmm. so we didn't actually start um, syndicating deals until 2020. So it was a little (laughs) bit of a a time. And and what I always felt was, hey, you know, I'm going to learn. And I actually never knew that you could syndicate larger deals. I didn't know anything about that at that time. My my whole thought was, hey, you go earn money and then you put money into a deal. And that's just kind of how it works. And obviously, that's a that's a, you know, a long Windy road to get where you want to go in terms of your goals, but you can do bigger and better things when you pool capital. Um, But I do think looking back, and I don't think I I knew this at the time, it was important for me to learn with my own money and Mm -hmm. then get to a position where then I could, you know, sort of take a larger responsibility and invite others to invest alongside us. We still invest in every single one of our deals, but uh, we started doing that in 2020.
0: Okay. Yeah. It's kind of interesting, like the timeline, like in 2014. You, know, you got into commercial two years later, you bought your first thing two years later. Now you're as an LP and then two years later, you know, GP and, you know, kind of this, this progression of continuing to learn and to kind of evolve and take what you're learning and actually put it to use. Like you said, you're taking those actions. So... Yeah, again, uh, you know, awesome.
1: looking back, like the the dots connect perfectly, but you know, going through that whole process, it wasn't, you know, it, it definitely didn't connect exactly the way that I expected it to. But I've just always looked at real estate and just kind of this business as, you know, continual progression and also, hey, what's the next level? And and, you know, is it does it make sense for me to play at that next level? And so the more that I learn, the more that, you know, more action I can take and the and the better I can do. It's like the more if you know better, you can do better. Yep. Awesome. So what's the business look like today? How many like units do
0: you have under management, dollar value, however you guys
1: measure it? Yeah. So we're at about a thousand units. Um, I'd call it, I mean, depending on your valuation, I I feel like we typically buy deals that, uh, we step into immediate value. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we're looking at, you call it 80 million under management currently. And of course, from an equity perspective, we're involved in over 4,000 units, um, as, as well, in addition to what we're actively managing with CF capital. Um, in addition to that, we are beginning, uh, the development arm of our business. Um, We've been uh, approved for tax credits for a new development in Lexington, Kentucky. And so we'll be putting up about 200 units there here over the next uh, 12 to 18 months. So we're in the middle of a rezone there. So we're excited Mm -hmm. to expand sort of another leg of the stool for our company um, and, you know, continue to grow there. Okay. And what's your team look like today? So um, our team is uh, pretty small. I mean, it's pretty lean. It's myself, my business partner. We have a COO. We also have an analyst on staff, as well as a marketing individual. And everyone else is either strategic partners or vendors, of course, you know, from a legal perspective, we have a securities attorney, we have a real estate attorney, unfortunately, we have too many many attorneys, Um, we have an accounting team that's uh, very, very important to us, we have a property management third party uh, group that we work with. Trying to think. I mean, we've got so many team members. Uh, we have other vendors that we work with. We work with. Actually, um, we've we've found that a lot of freelancers uh, through a company called Bullpen have been very helpful for us. It's uh, it's kind of like the Upwork for commercial real estate companies. And we've developed a great relationship with them and, and various different providers. But for the most part, that's our core team, and uh, we're continuing to grow that. Of course, as I mentioned, strategic partners uh, are important. Uh, typically, we'll have you know at least one co-sponsor with us on on unusual deals, just depending on sort of the the, the lift and the load and so forth, so that we can uh, go further faster. But in general, that's uh, kind of the basis of the team. Okay, so I know you guys work with with Holly Williams
0: uh, a, a lot. She's uh, you know also a friend of mine. I've had her on the podcast, and so I guess talk me through like what does that look like? That kind of relationship of using a co sponsor. Why do you do it? Uh, how do you choose who, who you're going to work with? Do you always kind of work with the same people, or does it change based on the geographics or like
1: the need of the deal? It changes based on the need of the deal. Um, but I will say that you know Holly, as an example, um, is somebody that we've worked with on several deals, and we're working with on a deal currently. Um, you know, Holly brings a great sort of strategic uh, approach in terms of not only helping us guarantee the debt on our deals, but also supporting us in raising capital, supporting us in investor relations, uh, asset management. You know, there's in these deals, there's always the unexpected. Right? Expect the unexpected, and so it pays to have folks that have been in the game or in the business for much longer than you have and have a, you know, a a longer track record than you have to be able to sort of make decisions and understand blind spots better than we could. And, you know, as you mentioned, you know, I've been in the business, uh, you know, for the past eight, nine years. But obviously, you know, in in the grand scheme of things, that's really only a snap of fingers. Uh, And and especially in terms of where things have been, you know, over the past 14 years, we've seen a run up. We, you know, at some point, we're going to have another correction. So it's always helpful to have more wisdom sort of on your side of the bench uh, than needed. Um, You know, and so, you know, there's many different ways. We look at deals in three different categories we look at it from an equity perspective. We look at it from a, you know, a deal sourcing, acquisition, asset management slash exit perspective. Mm -hmm. And then we also look at it as a debt guarantee. You know, those are the three different categories that we look at from the GP standpoint. And so depending on what the deal needs, we may have to structure our partnership, um, you know, in various different ways. You know, if we need someone to come in as a key principal to support us in terms of signing on the note, uh, to, to bring certain net worth and liquidity to the table, then we'll do that. Um, so there's some deals that we can do that ourselves and we don't need to do that, but it just depends on the size of the deal. Um, and, and anyway, so those are kind of the three categories and we kind of make shifts based on what's needed for the deal. Okay. Awesome.
0: So then someone who's like, I don't know, looking to get in the game on, on the, the GP side, maybe for them, that's the right approach, right? They can help find the deal and then they kind of partner with somebody maybe like you guys or like Holly or somebody else who can help bring some of the things that they don't have, right? Whether it's whether it's the debt guarantee net worth or the whatever, that, the management experience, or they can like see the bigger picture.
1: Um, that's right. It, yeah, yep. exactly. So, you know, one of the things that's important today is that you can't really get compensated as a capital raiser, quote unquote, um, and that's not legal. And um, and so unless you are a registered investment advisor or a broker dealer, but typically what happens is if, if that's the main participation that you have, you're also involved in asset management. You're also involved in investor relations and communication and strategic decision making. So, you know, you think about it, it's like, well, what's your lead role? And then what are your minor roles? What are your minor mm-hmm. focuses? And so those are some of the things that we think about. So if anybody is interested in doing sort of co-GP type of work, those are some basis thought processes in terms of all right what value am i bringing to the deal is it sourcing the deal is it guaranteeing the debt is it raising capital all right well what else do i bring to the deal and start to kind of have those those discussions around those foundational points awesome
0: so shifting to kind of you personally in terms of you you know growing your wealth right you're you're making money through being a gp through you know investing in deals and then where do you where do you go and redeploy your capital obviously you put it into your own deals do you diversify further outside of real estate or outside of multifamily or crypto? Like, I don't know, what what's what's your kind of internal strategy?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've got a close eye on crypto. I mean, I've, I did just invest in a Bitcoin mining fund. Um, so I'm excited about that. I think there is a, a different sort of profile of that investment, of course, than, than multifamily. There are a lot of similarities, um, you know, but uh, I, I certainly, I would say the majority of my capital is involved or tied up in real estate deals, um, you know, I'm always looking for, you know, ways to add value. And I think that, you know, sort of my insider experience in the space allows me to create the most value in the real estate space. Um, But like you, you know, I've recently uh, experienced a foray into the infinite banking space. So, you know, I've got a policy there where I've got uh, cash value to deploy. And, you know, will that go in another real estate deal? Possibly. Um, Will it go into another sort of debt instrument? Possibly. So I'm looking at those options. Um, you know, I, always, I do invest passively in other people's real estate deals. Um, but beyond that, I do have some some other sort of traditional investments. I do own, you know, some stocks. Uh, I do, you know, I do have some, uh, some IRA investments and so forth. Um, so, you know, always looking to ensure that there is a bit of a balance there in terms of some diversification. But the majority of my capital, at least where I'm at right now, because I'm in growth mode, I'm looking to continue to grow, you know, over the next few decades, to be honest with you. So where my expertise lies is in real estate, but there are some exposures otherwise. I will say also, you know, over the past couple of years, I've invested in gold and silver. Um, It's not the most exciting investment, but I almost see it as more of a security um, because I am concerned about uh, where currency is today, where the dollar is today, where currencies are across the world. Obviously, inflation is a big thing. So I take a look at, all right, well, what's my balance of cash to recognize that, you know, to be able to capture opportunities, you got to have some cash. Um, the balance there and also recognition that, hey, you know, that cash is dwindling quickly uh, based on sort of the, the valuation and so forth. So, you know, I look at um, investments like that, but um, there's many other things. But of course, just investing in our business. Our business is the is the best way for us to continue to, to grow income, to have the opportunity to capture new investments. But um, yeah, those are just a few things that i've been looking at awesome for gold and silver do you buy physical or like etfs yep physical um yep. people that are smarter than me in the space say that that's where you need to be yep. i mean if you're going to use it as a as a real insurance um you know for your kind of overall wealth position it kind of defeats the purpose if you're going for etfs okay. or paper uh in that space is, is from what i understand okay What well, do you have like a certain percentage you try to get there of your your net worth
0: I don't know. I don't, I whatever. don't.
1: I mean, I just started doing that. Actually, I started doing it in 2020 um, because I saw how much money was being printed and I caused, I saw the writing on the wall. I mean, we're going to see significant inflation. I mean, I don't know if you see this, but if you have 40% of the money supply that's new, that's newly injected, what's, what's going to happen eventually is that 40% of the value of the currency outstanding is going to be devalued in that capacity. So I saw that immediately and I just went out and bought a tranche of gold and silver and I have a, you know, a safe, a fire, you know, a fire (laughs) safe and it's kind of sitting in it and it's like, you know, it's definitely not exciting, but it, it, it is a preservation of wealth. Um, you know, protects purchasing power. That's one of the biggest things that I've recognized is that, you know, let's think about our purchasing power because it's not about the accumulation, you know, and of course, you you like to see a growth in net worth and passive cash flow and just cash flow in general. And what is that? What is that in comparison to your overall burn rate and so forth? Um, but I think preservation of wealth is something that I've had a, a big focus on over the past couple of years. Awesome. And and shifting to yours, so you have a podcast, Elevate, um, where
0: you talk kind of about mindset, right? And like, hey, you got to be in the right mind to to you know generate wealth, to build passive income. Can you speak to maybe what are some of the biggest uh, lessons you've learned from doing that kind of podcast, and maybe your own kind of evolution uh, from your guests and things
1: you've learned? Absolutely. Um, well, one of the things, the foundational thought processes is, is what I see is up to me. And I actually just recently heard that phrase and it was like, that actually puts it all into context because... As a business owner, as an investor, um as just a human being, like we all have circumstances in our life that happen that we can either attach, hey, this is good, this is bad, this is horrible, this is really exciting. And so what I see is up to me, allows me to recognize and it allows anybody to recognize that we have the choice in terms of how we react to certain circumstances and to me that's everything. You know, if we run into a challenging situation in a deal or with a member of our team, um, you know, we get to choose how we react. We get to choose what gifts we're receiving based on that circumstance. We can either be the victim and receive more bad things, or we can be the victor and receive the gifts of the circumstance on the way to victory. And, you know, from what I've learned from the podcast, I mean, I've, you know, been grateful to be surrounded by so many people like yourself. Um, so many other people that have just really, um, Set a, a huge life of inspiration. You know, we've had people like Seth Godin. We've had people like John Azaraf. We've also had you know some of the greats like Peter Linneman, Ivy Zelman. Some of the you know economic greats over the past you know decades, and uh, people that are so smart in terms of their their line of expertise. We've also had some phenomenal investors. And what I've learned is the people that really get on in this world are ones that they have a growth mindset and they recognize that there's always something to learn. There's always uh, another level that they can grow to. And, you know, they've obviously set themselves up for success currently and in their past. But they're always looking forward and um, for me I think that's some of the things that i've I've really learned and just being immersed in that world and you know continuance continuously kind of learning through osmosis and and recognizing that hey you know it's not about knowing everything but it's about asking questions it's about being humble it's about Elevating others around me, it's not just about hey, what can I receive, but what can I give and you know there's so many patterns that I've recognized through those conversations, and uh, it's been a great blessing it was it's funny, I mean, you know this better than anyone. you know doing a podcast is a lot of work, and uh, I've been doing it for almost three years now, and I was talking to my wife about it last night. it's like, hey you know i should continue this right and she's like well you know what do you get from it and a lot of the stuff that we just talked about is is what i get from it even if we didn't receive you know new investors coming into our business even if we didn't receive new strategic partners or um you know deal opportunities it would still be worth it just because being immersed in that type of growth is important and for me like as an investor um i think growth is more important and also that's what allows us to live a life of fulfillment it's not just about dollars and cents well you know, living a life of freedom is important. And I think financial freedom is kind of the basis of that. Um, it is about living a life of fulfillment rather than just a life of success, because, you know, one of the things that Tony Robbins says is that success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. And, um, so that's kind of something else that I'm, I'm seeking through that and growth as an individual and giving that to other people allows me to live a life of fulfillment. It's awesome. So what I see is up
0: to me, can you give like, I don't know, have you have any reflection on maybe something that, you know, previously you saw as like you were the victim and then now you've kind of can look at that same event now through this new lens, right? And you see a different perspective. And now what you see is, is, you know, what can I learn and be the victor? Any, anything from your life that like through this, you can provide an example of? Every
1: day. I have an example of this every single day. What about yesterday? Yeah. Well, I mean, so actually yesterday, so like we're in the middle of this deal right now and uh, through due diligence, we've uncovered some significant issues with the with the property and, you know, with the existing operation. And so unfortunately, we don't like to do this, but we've had to renegotiate and, you know, we're asking for a significant, excuse me, credit uh, from from the seller. And so, you know, the initial reaction myself is my God, we've spent so much time on this thing. And if they don't, you know, give us what we need, like what a waste of time and effort and mm-hmm. energy and how much more mm-hmm. time, effort and energy could we have applied to things that were going to be productive. And, you know, ultimately we've received some optimistic news and we're, we're working towards a resolution here. But initially, it's like, man, I'm the victim. Like, what the hell, man? You just wasted my time. And why did you misrepresent this, that, and the other? And because of you, now I'm losing all of these things, right? And so the question is, wait, all right, snap out of it. So, all right, so let's just explore this thought process. If, if what I see is up to me, what could that mean in this circumstance? It's like, all right, well, now let me put, me, put myself in the frame of possibilities and say, okay, well, if what I see is up to me what is up to me? What is good about the circumstance? We learned something. There are a few things that we've learned. We've learned that, you know, our due diligence process works. We've learned that, you know, there maybe are some parts of our timing that could have been better. We could have uncovered these things a little bit earlier. We could have asked, uh, you know, our construction management partner uh, a little bit more detailed questions and gar- you know garnered more detail Ahead of time before executing the purchase and sale agreement, that you know, we we could have done better. And so it's not, hey, we could have done better, so we failed and we were the victim of our own poor decisions. It's now we receive that gift. So now next time we do better. And so through these experiences, each and every time we get better. And like Robert Kiyosaki talks about this all the time. It's like financial intelligence. You learn financial intelligence through doing. And it's about these type of experiences that give you another kind of notch in your belt. So what I see is up to me in this circumstance is like, oh, man, I feel like I wasted so much time. And like, if you would have just told me these things, we could have, you know, figured this out, you know, three weeks ago. And I wouldn't have had to, you know, work weekends and nights when I've got twin infants screaming in my ear. Um, You know, I I could have I could have had a much uh, more pleasant past three weeks. So, you know, there's so many other examples. But that's just one way to look at it. And I can okay. apply this almost in every way. Can you speak to what that was? The
0: due diligence issue?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was... Um, there was uh, quite a handful of residents that were leased to that should have not been leased to. Um, they did like, not pass credit checks. They mm-hmm. were kind of on the edge. They were conditionally approved credit checks, which so, means okay. they probably shouldn't have been so if you're really... They were ahead. just taking
0: any any guy off the street, throw him in this apartment say to to get the pro forma up and sell it to you guys and make your problem they don't pay the next month
1: exactly when i when i got started as an investor i bought a property that had what i would call a loaded rent roll which means oh on the rent roll it looks great and it's like wow you know fully occupied this is awesome you know we can go in and just renovate units as they come available but what happens is well wait a minute what happens when 50 percent of your tenants don't pay and it's like, oh, they didn't tell me about that in rich dad poor dad, you know. And so when that happens, you know, it's put up or shut up time. It's uh, you know how how strongly are you going to hold to your policy of hey, rents due on the fifth, and if it's not in, you know, you're getting a letter and yep. you're you're late and you're going to get evicted thereafter. Because once you evict fifty percent, you you're at fifty percent occupancy, and then you got to renovate units, you got to do all that kind of stuff. So I've been there before personally on smaller deals. And what I've seen is that we have a significant portion of this property that what I would what I would call is non-performing or expected to be non-performing mm. so we're projecting now a dip in occupancy before we can improve that situation so we've, we've asked for a significant credit from the seller to rectify that and to help us shore up that like, cash flow in the short term. like those units were vacant basically is, is exactly the adjusted uh, the adjustment it's you're almost make. worse it's worse than vacant because you got to have least time effort right? and energy yeah. to get rid of them. And then release it. You know, not only release it, but you know, you're going to have some time, period, like a vacancy period. Plus, mm-hmm. you got to get the unit rent ready. Typically, a non performing tenant does not leave a unit, you know, in clean rent ready condition.
0: Yeah. So one of the things I like the most about what you said is like, what's the good in this? Like your process works. Like that's like an awesome mm-hmm. thing to think about. And then, yeah, what could be done a little better? Maybe, yeah, we could have, I don't know, started the the, the lease process maybe a little bit sooner before we got to this point, right? But like you said, it's, it's finding the good and then just figuring out, our, what do we got to fine tune now? And at the end of the day, there's always going to be something you can't like, you know, process out every issue. Uh, mm-hmm. pe- people are deceptive and people, you know, lie, which is why you, you do diligence and got to do what you got to right. do. So.
1: But you can refine it, right? You can improve it. You can streamline it. We could have done it quicker. We could have got ahead of this a little bit quicker. And so those are all gifts. I mean, there's so many others, but just in that particular circumstance, in terms of what we found through the lease audit, there were some things that we could have probably read the tea leaves to be able to anticipate that a bit more, but ultimately it's all good, but there's a big gift in it, you know, but originally again, like my thought process is, and and this is someone who I conditioned my mind for success constantly, not only in these conversations, but through books and through other podcasts and being in masterminds and things like that and hiring coaches. But, you know, ultimately my first reaction was, this is such a big, massive failure and I'm a big victim of this whole thing, you know, so it comes to me as well. Awesome. Any any books you you're reading now that you would recommend? I'm currently reading the Forty Eight Laws of Power by Robert Greene, and okay. um, it's actually one of the most unique books I've ever read. Uh, it's it's very cutthroat. Uh, I'll say this. You know, I'm I'm kind of a I have an abundance mindset. You know, if I if I give more, you know, typically I I find that I receive more. I will say that uh you know i think it's important for us to recognize the laws of power and and it has been very illuminating to understand you know how certain individuals who are somewhat cutthroat and in real in the real estate business there it can be very cutthroat to recognize hey what laws of power are people trying to use against you to gain more control over you or to uh to, to to sort of put themselves in position of power but that's a great book um man i'm a big reader in terms of what else am i reading right now that's the only one uh, typically do have a couple books going at one time, but I will say I do have two infant twins right now that are keeping a little bit more of my focus. There you go. How old are they? Uh they're thirteen weeks.
0: Oh well. Okay. Yeah. So you yeah, know, well, congratulations. First kids. Thanks,
1: man. Yes. Yep. yep. Zero to All two. Right. I like Zero. to scale the family immediately. <laughs> there you go.
0: Good. Good. Awesome. I'll have to check out that book. Yeah. It sounds sounds interesting. Um, yeah, I just pulled it up on Amazon here. So Cool. yeah he uh, talks
1: about like Mac, Machiavelli like from 3,000 years ago 2,000 years ago and like some of the things that they did and ancient Rome yeah, it's and like it's who, just like this is the timeless. perfect gift
0: for the power hungry who doesn't want power at an excellent price <laughs> is that what it says that's like the review the first review said the writer comes off as a psychopath that's just power hungry uh anyway it's, it's awesome. kind of
1: intense I'll say that but yeah. it's, it's it's a really interesting book it's different again it's different than anything I've ever read you yeah, know like a lot of these said cutthroat. Uh, Personal development and self improvement books are very, you know, rah rah and hey, we all win. But you know, the world is not a super nice place in all regards. So we have to understand what are some things that are being used against us and when needed for the greater good, you know, what power mm-hmm. can we obtain and what are some strategies to do so? So it's yep. an interesting book.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for recommending it. And where can listeners connect? Find more about you, uh, you know, if they're interested in any of the deals you got going on, what's the best place to reach it?
1: Yeah, so for CF Capital, um, if folks are interested in investing in our deals or just learning more about our process, uh, they can just go to cfcapllc.com. We've got a super easy way for folks to sign up for our uh, database, our email list, and they also will receive an ebook. It's called The Bottom Line 10 Ways to Increase Cash Flow in an Apartment Complex uh, as a Result of Being A part of our database. But again, our our philosophy is long term relationships. So we're not interested in rushing anybody to do anything they don't want to do. If they want to get educated, if they want to learn more about what this whole process looks like, we have a ton of educational material there. So again, that's cfcaploc.com. And of course, as we mentioned uh, regarding the podcast, if your listeners are listening to podcasts, it's very easy for them to to go check out Elevate Podcast with Tyler Chester. It's a real estate investing podcast for mindset, uh, mind expansion, personal development. And that's elevatepod.com or of course, anywhere where the listeners uh, find podcasts. Awesome.
0: Well, thanks for coming on and, and sharing all your wisdom. I uh, you know, d- deliver a ton of value and I appreciate it. You bet, man. Thanks for having me, Brian. I'll talk to you soon. All right, see you. That's all we got for this episode with the Business with Beers podcast. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is to rate the show and leave a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen. Also, make sure to link up with me on your preferred social media platforms, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can find all my links at brianbeers.com. Please just share the podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And until next time, remember to take the actions others won't to live the life that others don't.